this sufficiency of scripture is not just for your church. It's for you too, to just spend time with Jesus, enjoying his communion through his spirit. We got to have it nailed over top of our door. I need him. When I don't know where to turn, there's times where I'm going to need counsel. I'm going to need to turn to others. But oh my goodness, the joy that's just been brought to my life by locking myself in a room and reading through a book of the Bible in whole form, just uninterrupted. I just need to spend some time with God. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. We're glad you've taken some time to join us. My name is Chris Weigel. Appalachians have a traditional high view of Scripture. You may have seen the bumper sticker that says, The Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. But at the same time, there's traditionally an intense dependence on the Holy Spirit among believing Appalachians. On this episode of the Level Paths podcast, the sufficiency of Scripture in Appalachia. Which do we depend on the most? Scripture or the Holy Spirit? Or how do the two interact? Dr. Matt Shamblin is away on this episode of Level Paths, so Rex Howe is flying solo. He's joined by Jacob Marshall, assistant pastor at Antioch Baptist Church in Ono, West Virginia. Here's Rex. Welcome back to another Level Paths podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I serve as the president of Tri-State Bible College, and I want to let you know about some things happening here at the Bible College. On January 8th, we start our spring semester, so registration is open. Applications are being accepted. Uh, We have some fantastic courses on the schedule for the spring. If you're interested in auditing a course, we have a special course for you at 2 o'clock on Tuesdays. Whether you're in person in residence or via Zoom, you can tune in to the Gospel of John with Professor Manfred Langer. We also have a Gospels course being offered at our Akron Extension site. And then all of our courses on the schedule, which you can find at tsbc.edu, are available in residence and live through Zoom. We have a special section of courses called Distance Education Online that you can take asynchronously at your own pace. And we're really excited about the master's program. We're picking up some steam with more students enrolling. We have five master's courses offered this spring. Also, get ready for the third annual Appalachian Ministry Conference. The date is April 23rd, 2024. Dr. Shamblin and I are beginning our work in planning for the conference. We're very, very excited for our third year. One of the special guests that I know is coming, and I'm very, very excited about this, is Dr. Andy Clements. Dr. Clements and her son Tanner lead a ministry called Uplift Appalachia, and they're going to be joining us for the Appalachian Ministry Conference in some form or fashion. We're working out the details, but I just wanted to plug that real quick. We're really, really excited about Dr. Clements and Tanner coming to join us. Well, I'm here today with a dear friend. It's funny that Jacob and I met in Dallas, although we are both from North Central Appalachia. Jacob Marshall's here with me. Jacob serves as an assistant pastor at Antioch Baptist Church in Ona, West Virginia. He's an adjunct professor here at Tri-State Bible College. And we both had the privilege of attending Dallas Theological Seminary together. Brother Jacob, how are you this morning? I'm great, Rex. I am looking forward to our conversation today. Me too, brother. We are going into a topic today on the sufficiency of Scripture in Appalachia. 
let's talk about our experiences of scripture in Appalachia. As you've grown up in your faith here, what what's kind of a memorable experience for you about the Bible in Appalachia? Well, I've never really been to a church gathering in Appalachia where God's word is not central and respected. That's across denominations, that's across styles. Among born-again Christians in Appalachia, one thing that stands out to me, and I look back at my childhood, this heritage of what I was brought up on, if I would have picked out and said, man, what was an essential, what was an important mark of every church that I was a part of, it was the Word of God was central to everything. It was proclaimed, it was taught, it was encouraged to be reading it. That was an anchor that was always there and was never cut off. And tied with that was a high view of Scripture. So it it wasn't just this vestige of a time of a legend or something that we'd keep passing on. There was a high view of Scripture. And I remember it specifically from older men in these churches and from older women that were down in a basement of a little church teaching me about uh, men and women that I'd never met from the stories of the Bible and teaching it in such a way that they knew and they were convinced that this was important for me to know and that it could change my life. That's the most clear takeaway that I would have of growing up here and interacting in Appalachian churches. You know what I remember, Jacob, is this came up a number of times in my childhood, whether it was youth group or from the pulpit, there was a, oftentimes a mention of the the believers at Berea. I just distinctly remember this. It sticks out in my mind and how my little Enterprise Baptist Church in Ohio Furnace, how they really valued what the Berean Christians did in the book of Acts and how when Paul came and preached to them, that he commended them because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. I remember that coming up in the context of don't trust just what the preacher says, but you need to be able to search the scriptures to see if these things are true. That's on point. I remember that, hearing that phrase just uh, growing up say, now I want you to open your Bibles with me because I don't want somebody to lead you astray. As I'm going through this, I want you to have your Bible open and be following along with me because the Word of God is the authority, not this pastor, not this preacher. I would agree with you, Rex. There's always been that emphasis. I took it for granted growing up that that's in all places, everywhere, at all times, but have come to learn that's not always the case. That's a gift, and that's a mark of grace in the Appalachian church. I agree. It's not that it wasn't in other churches as I traveled around, but there was a particular emphasis from the leaders saying that, you know, don't just take my word for it but search the scriptures for yourself to verify if what I'm saying is true. There's, there's a bit of a biblical honesty and humility there from the teacher's part, which is good in one sense, even as a preacher boy growing up, Jacob, I don't know if you, if you recall this, but it can also come from a place of, boy, I'm just not real sure if what, if what I came up with is right, <laughs> if what I came up with is actually correct. And so I'm going to preface this with, please search the scriptures to make sure that what I'm saying is true. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. That's fair. There's this personal uncertainty from the fruit of my own study on the teacher's part, which can be good, which can also be a sign of 
maybe there's a need to not get arrogant in scripture, but grow in your confidence and your training and your ability to handle the word, right? Second Timothy 2.15, to cut it straight, interpret it rightly. But I think it's more of a positive thing that there's a humility, the congregation, the spirit is in each of us, and we need to uh, test the teachers by the scriptures. Which brings us to our next point, because you know that document I've referenced before on this podcast, the document written in 1814 by John Shermerhorn and Samuel Mills, it references this tendency in all of the Appalachian churches that they explored, no matter the denomination, there was this tendency they described as depending on the spirit within, and that they would test the scriptures by the spirit within instead of testing the spirit within by the scriptures. And so there is this Appalachian sensitivity, if we can call it, a dependence on the real and actual experience of the spirit in illumination and a high view of scripture. Would you agree with that? The thought, it might be a little off, that comes to mind is maybe we can't put words to it, but a sermon or the word of the Lord should be different perhaps than a lecture. It's not solely an intellectual process that's going on when we're interacting in these in our gatherings. Yeah, I, I follow you there. So when we talk about sufficiency of Scripture in Appalachia, we are um, agreeing with the long-held view in a lot of Appalachian churches that we have a high view of Scripture. Scripture is sufficient. It is powerful. It is inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible all these things. We have a high view of Scripture. In saying that Scripture is sufficient, however, we're not saying that we don't need the Holy Spirit. The tension that too often exists of, I think, where we're going of this conflict between, well, we're a word-centered church, or we're a spirit-led church, and, you know, we have this tendency to drift towards a camp rather than, again, one of these topics that we see throughout Scripture are to be held in harmony and complementing each other and just feeding into each other, I think there's a strong tendency in Appalachia to choose a side, if you would, of, of this need. Yeah. I want to reference a book at this point. It's written by Dr. Greg Heisler. He has a book called Spirit-Led Preaching, and I just came across it this year. I'm actually going to include it in my homiletics course coming up in the spring. And he has this great picture, Jacob, of a train on train tracks. And he says, so much expository preaching has been that the text drives the sermon along the train tracks of the scripture down to the termination point, which is still the text, just the proper presentation of the Word of God. And all those things are great. I mean, that's kind of traditional expository preaching. But what Heisler does in his book is he says, really, it should be the Holy Spirit who drives the sermon. He is the engine. The Holy Spirit is the engine that always drives the sermon down the path of the text. The Holy Spirit's always, he's not going to derail you off the text, right? He's not going to take you on some other track somewhere else. He's always going to take you down the path of the text, but he is the real driver of the sermon because he's the one who's prepared the preacher for the moment, and he's the one who's prepared the people to listen. And the desired destination at the end is not merely 
an intellectual exercise where we just did a method correctly, but it's actually the witness of Christ, Christological witness and spirit-filled living, obedience. So the goal is to get to a place where Christ is seen and the spirit fills the believer for obedience. I really love what he says there. You know, we can argue all we want about importance or different things, but to leave either off, it's tragic. Like it's got to break our hearts. It's not one of these choose this option, which you're going to err on, you know, that these have to work in harmony. It's how scripture presents it. I think of a gentleman I've read called Daniel Henderson has a real emphasis on scripture fed, spirit led, worshiped based prayer. And this idea of these all work together. They're all, this is the heart of the Lord pouring out through preaching and other aspects of our gatherings. Amen. One other quote from that book is, he says, the underlying foundation of the spirit-led definition assumes, spirit-led definition of preaching, assumes we are able to see the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit as complementary to each other instead of competing against each other. Spirit-led preaching seeks to overcome the false dichotomy between the Word and the Spirit, and instead unites them as the powerful catalyst for Spirit-demonstrated preaching. I love that. So you mentioned 1 Peter 4, and you had this great quote from Jim Cimbala that I, I loved. Tell us more about that. Yeah, Cimbala may have taken this from, from somebody. I'm not sure if it's original with him, but he says, you know, if you're all Word, you're going to dry up. He says, if you're all Spirit, he says, you're going to blow up. If you'll have the Word and the Spirit, you're going to grow up. Again, this emphasis, this, I think we all have this leaning to choose one, and that the Lord has set this up in such a way that they work in harmony. We need them together. We also were talking about the sufficiency of Scripture and the Holy Spirit. As we think about those things working really toward the same goal, same purpose, same power, we want to realize that our own words apart from the Spirit, are really insufficient for ministry. We were talking about 1 Peter 4, this idea of, you know, you've had these gifts of the Lord. I want you to be good stewards of them, church. Each of you are needed. And, and Peter reminds me, because do you have this gift of communication, this, this gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. This idea of if any man, any, anyone speaks, let him speak as if he's speaking the word of God. This idea of being aware, realizing as we're speaking scripture, as we're, there's this need to, to be aware of what we're saying, that, that we need to be led by God's word and led by God's spirit. That's it. So that brings us to 2 Timothy 3. We really wanted to drill in here as we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, the role of the Holy Spirit in Appalachia. And so let's dig into the text a little bit, then let's come out of the text and talk a little bit more about Appalachia. But to set the stage a bit, let's talk context. And we come to 2 Timothy 3, and we're in this letter of Paul to his disciple, Timothy. We seem to know that this is the final letter of Paul uh, before he is martyred. And in chapter 3, his first section there covers those who will make certain times difficult. He speaks of the last days and difficulty coming. And the reason these things are difficult is what's going to happen to people. People 
in verse two and three and four and five and so forth are going to go from bad to worse, so to speak, in this paragraph. So he just talks about the time and it proceeding with people becoming lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but not denying its power. So he just sets that up as this is what you're going to face, Timothy. These are the times you're going to face. These are the people you're going to face. And then in verse 10, he he shifts and he says, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. He said, but Timothy, you have a different example. You have learned another way. We'll find out later. It's not just from Paul that he has learned this, but from his mother and grandmother that he has learned this. But right here in verses 11 and 12, Paul speaks of persecution. And he says in verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so there's an expectation here of persecution. Why? Well, because of what he said in the first 10 verses. These are the times. These are the people who fill these times. And so if you're going to try to live a different way than them, if you're going to try to live godly in Christ, then you're going to face persecution just like I have. I don't know, Jacob, but I don't know that I've ever given a lot of thought to persecution being the context in which 2 Timothy 3.16 comes to us. Have you ever thought about that? That the sufficiency of scripture, this famous verse that we've You know, those of us who've been in the church since we were little, we've heard this verse, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. I mean, we've heard this verse our whole lives, but I don't know up until just giving it some extra time this week, I've really thought about Paul communicated and the Holy Spirit through Paul communicated this verse in the context of Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the backdrop to this, too, of the deception, this act of deception that's going on. There's going to be this need. There's deceiving going on, and there's being deceived. So there's there's <laughs> active and passive deception here. It's coming from both sides, Tim. So yeah. this need for him, this counsel to this young man, and it's going to be this command, stand firm, remain, remain, Timothy. I think of John 8, 31. How are men going to know that you're truly my disciples? Mm. You're going to remain in my word. Mm. You're going to abide in my word. It's this hallmark of Christian faith. Remain in what I've taught you. Remain in what I've heard from the apostles and from Jesus and Mm. uh, stand firm. I just read an article on the author is Roger Hicks. He writes a blog over at My Appalachian Life. And I I don't agree with Mr. Hicks on everything, but he interviewed uh, Loyal Jones. I think it was 2017. The title of the blog, Jacob, was 40 Years After Appalachian Values. So it was kind of a, what do you think now after you've written that book, you know, so many years ago? And they talked about how much Appalachian culture has changed since the first writing of that book. You know, they looked at each of the values in the blog. He talks about religion. And Loyal Jones actually said in that interview that Appalachia has actually become a less religious place. I say that to say this, to try to connect and correlate with 2 Timothy 3 here. We don't live in Appalachia necessarily a Christian culture here. A lot of church folks feel like we maybe still do. 
but we don't when the numbers are you know 30 percent claim to be christian we know that it's actually less than that so what does that mean well that means hard times that means that we live in the midst of a culture that doesn't know the lord and we are on mission like paul and timothy were when we face deceivers and the temptation to be deceived the sufficiency of scripture the spirit inspired scripture becomes really really important yeah not only to us but being intentional about how do we reach the next generation too what is our response to such a culture what is our response to you know all of these what are we going to do how are we going to do this i think this is paul again dropping an anchor and going remember jesus and now it's you need to remember scripture that's the other part of the context what you just said how are we going to reach people and in this context of persecution there's like another context that's personal to timothy he says in verse 15 how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in in christ jesus and so timothy is a person that since he was a child his life had come up against scripture scripture was part of his upbringing and so as you think about appalachia young people scripture jacob what kind of thoughts come to mind for you in that context scripture's sticky the lord uses this metaphor of planting seeds it's in there i think for so many young people sometimes we think you know what value is this what's going on it could be doing a a good news club in an elementary school you know what's the purpose of teaching youth why should we even value that Paul seems to indicate that this background in Timothy's life was not wasted. It was not in vain. This was important. It was formative to who he was going to be, who it, it shaped him. There's definitely the opportunity that we hear it, we walk away and remain unaffected. But mm-hmm. I know in so many families right now, there's prodigals and there are people going, Oh my goodness, we, you know, we tried, we tried, we tried to expose our kids to good things. We tried to, we wanted them to be exposed to scripture and just, man, what went wrong? I just want to encourage parents. I want to encourage pastors and deacons that are listening right now. And they're going, our kids or our grandkids or are astray. Where are they? Anytime that you expose them to the word of God in this loving sense that was, that captured Christ's heart in this exposure, it was not wasted. Um, the Lord has a, has a way of using this. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of John Alderson Jr. And he has this story. Here's this guy who shapes Southern Appalachia, at least in the Baptist church there. And it's, he's out. He is a young man. He's kind of, it says he's living life his own way. And he goes through a crisis, like many of us. Hurt comes into his life. I think of Psalm 119. I was going astray until affliction came. And then... I remembered. And he says, I remembered what my dad, who was a pastor in Western Virginia, I remember what he taught me. And I remember us having to stand up and say that catechism every week. And that just bugged the snot out of me. That's my own words. That's not John's words. But you can kind of tell he's like, I did not always think that this was that valuable. I was a moral person, but I'd not been born again. I didn't know the Lord Jesus. And he said, in a time when I had a crisis and when I needed something, God brought the word of God and the words of my father to mind. And it changed the entire landscape of Southern Appalachia. 
I can relate to that so well, Jacob. I think of when I was converted at 19, I was not seeking the Lord. I was acquiescing to a friend's request that I go to church. Okay. <laughs> so I just, I just <laughs> said, okay, fine, leave me alone. I'll go and you can leave me alone. But what happened at the second attendance, the second time I went, is the Holy Spirit brought to mind so many scriptures that I had learned from my grandmother's church. I mean, it just happened. That's similar. You know, there was there were some crises in my life. I mean, there were, there was some pain, there was some hurt, there was some poor decision making. There was all kinds of things going on and it's in that context that the Lord recalled thing, retrieved things from scripture and from my childhood uh, to change and transform my life in that moment. When we zero in on verse 16 and we read, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now we know in the word breathed out, it's theopneustos. It's the combination of two words. It's the word for God and the word for spirit or spiriting. When Paul's speaking of scripture here, the word of God, okay, he is speaking about its nature, its essence. That is, it's spirited out by God. Yeah, this is the only challenge of growing up here. We've heard the Bible so much, we can become so content and familiar with it. There's not this sense of, this is the word of the Lord. This is not just merely literature. Remember being a junior at Marshall University, I had grown up hearing the Bible, I'm making terrible decisions, I'm going through things, I'm thinking, Lord, I don't even know what I believe. I open up His Word. We all have different stories. This may not be what somebody should do uh, necessarily, but I start in Genesis and I just read through. I'd never read the Word, and it changed my life, but it wasn't just this piece of literature. It was God using it. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit using it and just bringing me to this point of going, oh my goodness, I've heard from Him. I've heard. He is not silent in the, in the words of Francis Schaeffer. This is where we want to pull, you know, these earlier Appalachian tendencies that we talked about a bit ago, the high view of Scripture and the traditional, I guess, if I can use that word, dependence on the spirit of Appalachian Christians. We want to pull those things together right here and say yes to both. Scripture is spirited out by God. There should be an experience of the Holy Spirit with Scripture, and we should have a high view of the sufficiency of Scripture because it comes from God's Spirit. And so as we think about persecution, as we think about difficult times, as we think about deceivers and culture, as we think about caring deeply for children and young people and their development of a worldview that glorifies God, we come to this verse. We think of all those things, all that's happening in the world, all that, all the, the difficult things about being a child in today's world. And we come to this verse and we find that all scripture is spirited out by God. Wow. That is something. It's going to provide you with something to know and to say in hard times. It's going to provide you with something to know and to say when there's deceit going on. It's going to provide you with something to know and to say as a child and as you grow up in the world. I think that's so, so important. In this sense, Rex, every morning I need a fresh word from the Lord. 
It's me going and interacting with Scripture. It's me hearing, sitting under. I picture Mary there at the feet of Jesus in this position of discipleship. She's hearing the word of the Lord. She's hearing it, and the Holy Spirit's using it. He's using this to provide what we need. But I use my example of there's times where I'm like, I take for granted. I look at this as a book. And I'll think, oh, I just wish Jesus could be present with me right now. Just stand here in the waiting room with me. I want to hear directly from him. And I misplace, I don't know, I take it for granted that we have this communication from him that his Holy Spirit is still using to lead me to all truth. That I'll, I'll set aside and go, oh, Lord, I need to hear from you today. And my Bible remains unopened on my shelf. And so it's no wonder then that Paul goes on to talk about and correlate the essence of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the spiritedness of Scripture with it being profitable for the list that he then gives, right? For teaching, for reproof, that is for calling out wrongs, but then for correcting those wrongs. You know, the Scripture and ministry, it shouldn't just call out wrongs. And I had a uh, church council president, Jacob, that used to say, just don't tell me what the problem is. Give me a solution with the problem. (laughs) So we want to move from here's the teaching, here's the catechism, here's the calling out wrongs, here's the correction, the biblical solutions for the problems of life, and then for training in righteousness, for maturity, to grow in character. And then verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work in such times as these that Paul is talking to Timothy about. You see this usefulness of Scripture and the gift that the Lord has given us. There's usefulness to it. How do we structure ourselves in business meetings, in in leadership meetings, till we go, why don't we turn and hear from the Lord? This is useful, practical. It is pragmatic to turn to Scripture, and that's personally, that's corporately. And this picture of this mission that the Lord would have for us, this word that he has given us, it's sufficient, it's proficient. This picture of this soldier that is well fitted out, or this guy I'm thinking of when we're getting ready to go hiking, or when I'm getting ready to go in the woods for hunting, I have everything that I need in the word that the Lord has given me, and that I carry with me in the person of the Holy Spirit, that I am equipped, I'm ready, everything that I need, he has provided that I can look to him. Again, this sufficiency, I think of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus' sufficiency, just magnified times infinity here of Mm -hmm. this, oh my goodness, we have this embarrassment of riches. We have a gift here that we must not take for granted. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about Scripture in Appalachia. We've talked a bit about the sufficiency of Scripture and really the coordination of Spirit-led living with that because the scripture came from the spirit. We've looked at Second Timothy here, chapter three. Now we could go into chapter four and see more about the word, but we're gonna stop. We're gonna stop here. But what's some low-hanging fruit that you see, Jacob, about how to apply the sufficiency of scripture in an Appalachian context? I think we've ridiculed people sometimes for getting up and saying the Bible says it and I believe it. Hmm. And there can definitely be an abuse of a statement like that, but we need to be sensitive and realize that sometimes people, I think of myself, I've been to seminary, I'm experiencing some wonderful training, doctoral training. I think we need to be careful that how the Lord gifts people in our churches and to value the gift of Scripture, the gift of His Holy Spirit in His church, 
to not minimize that, to not diminish it. Rex, I was wrong. I feel like I got out of some training. This was not the product of my teachers, but I got out of training, and I felt like if I had the best commentaries on my shelf, that was what I needed more than anything. And I am all for, we, have, we need to be as sharp as tool as we can in the Lord's hands. But I, with my bents and with my personality, had a tendency to undervalue the work of the Spirit, my need for Him, and how He interacts with God's Word. I think there's other groups of Appalachians that have a tendency to undervalue the work of training, of diligence and study. And so we have a tendency in our traditions, whatever our styles are, to distance ourselves. And I find I'll ridicule one. I'll ridicule, you know what, we do this. We're the, I'll begin to ridicule or I'll begin to minimize. I think we need each other. Mm. It almost sounds like Jesus. But how is Appalachia going to know that the Father has sent him? Mm. We need to be in sync, in step with His Spirit, and in sync and in step with each other. And I think some of that just comes back to this, man, people that changed Appalachia, some of them did have formal training, some of them didn't have any informal training. All of them had a transforming love for the Word of God that was produced by the Spirit of God. Man, I can't move off of it from Jesus' line in here in John. 539, you study the scriptures diligently. I feel like he said this to me so many times. Jacob, how much time you've studied the scriptures? Because you think that in them you have eternal life, but you need to remember this. The scriptures, they point to me. Mm. They point to me. And uh, in the end, man, to have communion and fellowship with the risen Lord. Wow. That's what we need. Yep. That takes us back to Dr. Heisler's point. The goal of preaching or teaching scripture is not just to have completed your method for teaching scripture. <laughs> the goal of scripture is to witness Christ. That's the goal, to see Jesus. They testify of him. That's so timely, such a good word. So we do not want to minimize the simple confession of a high view of scripture by an Appalachian believer. We don't want to minimize that. That's important. We also don't want to minimize the blessing of training and the fruit that can come from good training. As I've been back in the area and participated in a little bit of children's ministry, I love children's ministry. I love youth ministry. And one of the things that Amy and I are doing with the kids at our church and in our community is we're teaching them ways to memorize scripture. Because when I was a kid, because of the leaders that I had, they put a lot of scripture in my heart. It was that scripture that later the Holy Spirit used to regenerate my life. And so we have found creative ways to help children memorize scripture so that they put it in their mind, they hide it in their heart. We use a lot of hand motions. We get them up and moving. We get their body learning it. We get their mind learning it. We get them saying it. We get them thinking about it. We really have created a kind of children's ministry that focuses on memorizing a verse of scripture. And then what is the teaching of that scripture that goes with it? So this is us practically believing in the sufficiency of scripture and the power of the spirit to move through scripture. Definitely. My mind goes to a um, quote I've heard from Lewis Berry Schaefer. When we were down at Dallas Seminary, they would get up and they said, Schaefer would come in, he would say, you need to remember this, students, there's a faculty of one at the school. It's the Holy Spirit. 
And he says, and we use one textbook, and it's the Holy Bible. And just this need, I would just continue to urge this gift we have of ministry. This is a privilege to do this, but it's a privilege. Oh, it's a privilege to walk with Jesus. Just pastors, Christian leaders who are listening, please don't set aside time. This sufficiency of Scripture is not just for your church. It's for you too, to just spend time with Jesus in His Word, enjoying His communion through His Spirit, being transformed by that, to not reach a point where we're getting up and all our preparation, that's our time in the Word. We have to have time where we're just sitting at His feet and enjoying Him. All that we've talked about today, yes, our congregations, our people, it is sufficient, but we've got to remember it too. We've got to have it nailed over top our door. I need Him. When I don't know where to turn, I don't have to go to the top 10 list, or I don't have to find. There's times where I'm going to need counsel, I'm going to need to turn to others. But oh my goodness, the joy that's just been brought to my life by locking myself in a room and reading through a book of the Bible in whole form, just uninterrupted. I just need to spend some time with God. So just encouraging you, it seems the tyranny of the urgent, everyone's so busy, but to keep making time for Jesus. He is sufficient. This hits us too, not just Appalachia in our churches. It, Jacob Marshall needs, I need to believe the sufficiency of the scripture in reality myself. I've got to do more than sign off on this doctrinal statement. I got to believe it. Rex used the phrase, the spiritedness of Scripture. Essentially, we hear from the Holy Spirit and experience His power through the Word of God. It's practically impossible to live a Spirit-led and Spirit-filled Christian life if someone's experience with the Holy Spirit ever seems uncharacteristic of God the Father and the Son. You can guarantee that the experience is devoid of correct scriptural interpretation. Has today's discussion raised questions for you? Are you scratching your head as you try to reconcile the works of the Spirit with what is found in God's Word? Or maybe you're a pastor or teacher, and the Bible has just become sermon and lesson material. You're struggling to apply the Word of God personally. In either case, reach out to Rex Howe today. His email address is rex.howe at tsbc.org. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president at Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email at matt.shamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.